0: The issue of Southern Mountain Caribou in Canada is going to set a precedent for how we treat the species that are facing extinction that will come after.
1: This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bearers. of BC's southern mountain caribou local populations have lost more habitat than what's needed for survival. That's the lead from the Wilderness Committee news item announcing the release of the NGO's report, State of Southern Mountain Caribou Habitat in BC, Exceeding Disturbance Limits. The fate of the mountain caribou in this region has been spotlighted in part due to their status under the Species at Risk Act, and the controversial methods the provincial government has utilized thus far. Wolf coals and maternity pens are in use, but aren't considered a long-term solution by advocates. And they don't address the clear and indisputable cause of the caribou's perilous position, habitat destruction. The report released by Wilderness Committee measures, quote, "...all destructive activities within caribou-critical habitat over the past 80 years." The results, according to the report, show that critical habitat disturbance levels are far beyond the threshold for caribou recovery in 17 out of 21 local population units. What that means and what Canadians can do to protect caribou, as well as wolves and other wildlife being killed in recovery efforts, is discussed with Defender Radio by report author Charlotte Daw of Wilderness Committee. We've talked about this in the past and I'd like to start, let's go back to 2003 before we get into the report and everything else and that's when southern mountain caribou were listed as threatened on schedule mm. one of sarah um by the federal government mm-hmm. and then 11 years later an assessment and status reports concluded that the many subpopulations in all three groups had deteriorated i'm reading your writing uh just so mm-hmm. everyone knows as mm-hmm. i read this report charlotte you have written this report um
0: Right. Yes. <laughs> I remember, I think. Yeah. I think I remember <laughs> writing
1: that. Um, I guess I let's start with why does this matter? I I want to start there. I mean, mm. this is something that's going back 17 years in history now. Uh it, it actually goes back probably well over hundred years, but point being the relevance of it goes back seventeen years. Why are we concerned about these caribou? Of all the things that we need to be worried about, why is mm-hmm. this an issue?
0: to discuss Mm -hmm. um the first thing i would say is caribou are the issue of southern mountain caribou in canada is going to set a precedent for how we treat the species that are facing extinction that will come after caribou are kind of the first species that were well studied well understood and extremely culturally significant to first nations across canada and so we, we've documented their decline since it started mm-hmm. and this is sort of the first species that we could see become extinct in, um, in Canada and how we manage them is going to dictate how we manage other species um, in the future that are facing extinction. And it also matters because if we can fix the problems that are driving southern mountain caribou to extinction, we're fixing so many other problems for ourselves as well. If we want to play, you know, um, that kind of like human focused card (laughs) is as you if we can fix the issues that are driving caribou to decline. We're also going to fix things like old growth logging, unsustainable industry practices throughout wilderness. We're going to fix carbon sequestration we can increase that there's just a numerous other things that will benefit from saving caribou but it's also just a testament to what canada is willing to do to save a species
1: well and there are also legislated requirements involved in all of this um and i think maybe that's the next step so both the federal government and the provincial governments, as a result of this designation have roles and responsibilities uh how is it an even split or is most of it on one party or the other is there an easy way to encapsulate that
0: okay i'll explain it this way the province has responsibility the federal government has legal requirements okay so the species at risk act basically once a species is at risk it it gives the power to the provinces first to provide effective protection for an animal's critical habitat. So it sort of just says, provinces, you know what, on provincial land, the the ball's in your court, and we're going to hope that you comply with the Species at Risk Act and fulfill your responsibilities and effectively protect habitat. Have we ever seen that happen? No. Um, And like, honestly, with most species What should be protected is often never protected by the province. So then when that happens, the government has a legal responsibility to step in and ensure that effective protection is provided, Um, literally meaning they can take over um, activities on provincial land that threaten a species at risk.
1: Okay. And the other thing I want to check in on before we dive into the full conversation all of the data we're talking about, or most of the data we're talking about, comes from the government itself, either yes. Environment Canada or BC.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah.
1: I I, so, I was going through it and I noticed that a couple of the references are, you know, government of Canada and stuff like that. And uh, I, I always know data is often brought up as a sore point in some of these discussions. So when we can use the government's own data, uh, I think it's probably also a, a nice little bonus.
0: Oh, yeah, we, we made it. Um, I'm I'm aware of those things. I've had peer reviewed papers before, and I know that relying on the government's data is the, uh, always the best way to go, because even if their data is not complete, it's it's up to them to complete it, you know. So for the critical habitat, that was the federal government. That was the federal government's um, data. And then for all of the activities, um, industrial activities was the provincial government's data. Um, yeah.
1: All right. And again, I just, I feel like there's so much to go over before we get to kind of the crux of this report that you've put together. Um, What are the real threats to these caribous? We've got a a couple of populations uh, that are considered southern mountain, or mountain caribou southerners. There was some order in which those words are said to specify things. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Again, for the technical data that is much more put together than I am, check out the Wilderness Committee report. But um, what are the real threats facing these animals and their ongoing survival?
0: Right. Everyone's first thought, most people's first thought is, oh, wolves. Um, And I would like to say that that's not the ultimate Cause of decline. So the the threat facing caribou is habitat destruction and disturbance. Um, after their habitat is destroyed and disturbed, there are a number of other things that sort of cascade that affect the caribou even more. So not only are you directly removing their habitat, um, but you're also you're removing their food resources, their shelter, and then you're providing pathways for predators to come in and once that happens it sort of changes the predator and prey dynamics in an ecosystem um caribou that survive in the high alpine are not used to wolves being able to reach them that high um, especially during the winter uh, caribou have these um hooves that can sort of keep them above the snow so they're able to traverse in snowpacks like greater than two meters uh, wolves don't have that so wolves normally without a road or some sort of like pathway into those forests, they're not able to access those high, those high grounds in the snow. But since we have snowmobilers going in, we have logging roads, um, we have seismic lines that packs down the snow and it allows predators to move in. And so also when you get these predators um, that are, now in this new area, and they see caribou, caribou have not really evolved to deal with wolves 100% of the time throughout, um, throughout the year 24-7. So it's a very easy prey to pick off. Um, and you can compare that to like uh, moose and deer who are a little bit more adapted to, to, um, to getting away from wolves in the winter. So that's sort of what happens is the wolves sort of opportunistically prey on the caribou. Um, so that's sort of what, what's going on. But it it has to be said that it's not – the wolves aren't the reason caribou decli- are declining. It's their habitat disturbance. And if we're ever, ever going to save caribou, we have to deal with the habitat first. Unless the government's goal of recovering caribou is putting them in a fence somewhere, maybe. <laughs> like yeah. that's um, that's the only way – yeah, the only way to really save them is to protect their habitat.
1: Well, and two of the big things the government has done and waves their flag around saying, look at what we're doing, is a wolf cull. And there is a paper going around. We actually just had one of our advisors respond to the paper claiming that the wolves need to be culled more so and in an ongoing mm-hmm. way. Uh, I think it was actually, aggr- the word aggressive is in there somewhere. They need to aggressively remove wolves. Um, and the other one is the maternity pens. Um okay. But what you're saying and what logic would dictate is that while those may help, they're not going to solve the problem. And the problem mm-hmm. is not that caribou populations are declining. The problem is that caribou habitat is declining.
0: Yes, exactly. And I mean, the thing that both of those solutions have in common is that it pleases industry. Um, it's it's the easiest way that industry can continue operating as usual um, but also temporarily sustaining caribou numbers. It's not a long-term solution, and it's only gonna just allow industry to accelerate the logging of their habitat. Um,
1: and while there is a, a great deal of documentation on that, um, I think we've spoken about that, I've spoken about it with yeah. other people, we've blogged <laughs> it, it's all over the website, just gotta look for it. Um, what we're talking about today is this new report, Exceeding Disturbance Limits. Um, so let's uh, what are disturbance limits? Let's start with some terminology.
0: Yeah, so the federal government put together a recovery strategy. It's, it's science-based. It's one of the best reports we have on caribou and what they need to survive. A disturbance limit is the amount or proportion of critical habitat that needs to be protected in order to result in caribou being able to sustain themselves in the long term. I hope that makes sense. So if you have... Um, For instance, one of the disturbance limits is um, 65% of their uh, high elevation must be undisturbed. So let's say there's 100 hectares of high elevation habitat, 65% so 65 hectares of that must be protected in order for the caribou to have enough habitat to repopulate year after year and sustain themselves on their own without the need for human intervention.
1: All right. And... What what's the current status? I mean, what have we learned as like through the years? Again, using Mm -hmm. government data sets to to base all this on, where are we at right now?
0: Yeah. So eighty, so seventeen out of twenty-one local population units. Which, sorry about all this jargon. That means a subpopulation. So just think about it as a population. Mm -hmm. Each population can have multiple herds in that population. So, anyways, there's twenty-one throughout BC that are solely located in BC and 17 of them have all passed at least one of their disturbance thresholds meaning 81% of the herds in BC don't have enough habitat to sustain themselves in the long term
1: And what does that mean? I mean, is is it game over?
0: I mean this is the first this is the first report of its kind that looked at disturbance over 80 years, which is the time that caribou, the time that a disturbed forest um, impacts caribou. And yeah, it it kind of means unless we immediately stop logging all of the critical habitat in those 17 local population units uh, ranges, and then take supplemental action to sustain them in the short term, Uh, Yeah, it would be game over in the long term for saving them. I mean, you can do things like put them in a pen um, But that would mean that they will never recover naturally in the forest and we'll never have them We'll never we'll never have them again just in our mountains naturally going from valley to valley and mountain to mountain um, and being able to sustain their herds every year that if we don't Um, protect habitat right now that option won't be on the table.
1: That is also a problem, not just for the individual caribou, if we look at it from that point of view. Uh, again, these are all individuals, um, and that should be considered. But also then what that means for the ecosystem. If a, a large, uh, large animal that would normally call that ecosystem home disappears, can we accurately predict what's going to happen next with the ecosystem?
0: Oh, yeah, I, I think for sure. Caribou have survived glaciation and they, they can't even survive us. Like, if caribou can survive hundreds of thousands of years um, but not seem to survive us, that is a, that's a devastating thing to think about. And then as, as they wink out, we're going to see numerous species follow them
1: and at a certain point we're gonna have to take drastic steps i imagine then and no one wants drastic steps then yeah
0: yeah this is sort of the point that i'm i'm always trying to say if you're treating someone in the emergency room once you've let a situation go so bad not only do you have a lower chance of saving them but the costs of saving them is going to skyrocket We've all seen the controversy in the Southern group and um, the community's backlash to that because they waited so long to do anything. So now it is an emergency room situation where the plans and the steps we're going to have to take are going to be so much more drastic. But in the long run, I really believe that we will save and the government will save and the taxpayers will save more money protecting old growth forests, protecting caribou critical habitat today than dealing with this you know, 25, 30 years down the road, when now instead of just caribou facing extinction in those forests, there's a hundred other species. And we're gonna be doing the same thing for caribou with a hundred other species. That's gonna cost millions, millions of dollars. And where we can protect their habitat right away and avoid that situation altogether.
1: And where I'd like to take this next is what people can do, because this, it feels like too much to solve. Uh, yeah. that may just be me in my mood today, but it's, it is, it is drastic there. There's, mm-hmm. we're looking at this data and it's saying, unless we do something today, tomorrow, we're going to have to like, just go full bore trying to save ecosystems. Mm-hmm. So how can we influence this in some way to make sure that we do take steps today to protect mm-hmm. us and everyone else tomorrow?
0: Yeah. I would first start by saying that, um, we have people, Canadians have influenced caribou in a positive way. The pressure has worked. Um, the partnership agreement in the central group is an example of that, and that that will be passed, I'd say, in the coming weeks. And this is an example of a plan that strives for um, what we need in other places. it's it's it protects a significant amount of habitat. And so I would want to say that I know that sometimes it feels like all of these this letter writing and, um, you know, the phone calls to government doesn't get through, but it does. It's just difficult to measure sometimes. And the partnership agreement is an example of it, of us of speaking up, um, having an effect and working. They wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for, you know, thousands of Canadians and British Columbians um, demanding that it happens. So with that being said, Um, Going forward, I think a lot of Canadians are starting to become more aware of the extinction crisis um, and the biodiversity crisis. It used to be linked, you know, within climate change, but I think it's becoming this its own dooming thing that's upon us and how we need to take action, drastic action to save those species today, I think is really getting through to people and we're seeing more and more people speak up for it. And our governments are being more and more pressured to protect habitat. Um, the Canadian government has millions of dollars this year to, um, to distribute in nature funding. So that's a huge opportunity to work with first nations and figure out what areas in Canada overlap with species at risk that need to be protected. And when those types of things come up as Canadians, we need to stand up and say, and support those plans. Um, and I know it can seem daunting, but if we all take on a little bit of that work, um, We can do it together. And I I do truly believe that.
1: Perfect. Uh, Do you have any actions on the Wilderness Committee website right now regarding this one?
0: Um, We are currently waiting for the partnership agreement announcement to come out. Um, And once that happens, what we're actually going to ask people across Canada to do is say congratulations to West Moberly and SOTO First Nations to showing Canadians that this is possible and that um, you know, a future for caribou, it can happen and it is happening in the central group. So this might be a nice one for people to take part in is to thank those two, um, first nation allies who have done an incredible job. Uh, not, I know this is probably surprising for you (laughs) that it's like a positive action, but I think we have to, um, celebrate the good, the good wins.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and people will be able to stay tuned on that at the website wildernesscommittee.ca, is it dot com ca? I'm looking at my notes org. Yeah. I was close. I got you wilderness. Were. I got wilderness <laughs> committee right, and I want points for that.
0: That okay? You get one point though.
1: One. All right, I'll take it. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, but please stay tuned. We'll be um we'll be updating everyone about the partnership agreements as um as they are hopefully going to be released and announced this month.
1: To find out more about the Wilderness Committee report and how you can take action, visit wildernesscommittee.org or find them across social media. I want to thank Charlotte for joining me for this important interview and all of you for checking it out. You can follow me on social media to find out what I'm up to, see some cute photos of my dog JJ, who you can probably hear tapping around behind me right now, and participate in contests. I'm at Defender Radio on Twitter and Facebook and at Howie Michael on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears, reminding you to be kind and to stay informed and stay strong.